Gaming NBS episode 252 being recorded Sunday, July something, 2019. July 21st, 2019. Welcome to Gaming NBS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I am the S. I am I am the B. How you doing, man? What's going on, Brett? Oh, not too much. We're here again. We're here again. It's like a thing we do every week. It's crazy. 252 weeks. Yeah, we've only taken a couple. We've had a couple weeks 251, where we couldn't. 251. 251. Yeah. I mean, maybe. we've only had a couple weeks where we couldn't make it. But those were like near-death experiences and things of that nature. It's been pretty sketchy. One more those year, and it'll be longer than any job I've ever had. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Granted, I'm... Well, long as I guess I've ever worked, could, Long as I've ever been at one place is six and a half years. Yeah. So... But, I mean, I, I only really truly work one day a week at my jobs. So, <laughs> one more year will be the, um, I think, slightly longer than my first marriage. Wow. So I will have been in a relationship with Sean Kelly longer than I was with my first wife. <laughs> Whoa, hey oh. Yeah. Ah. Ah, indeed. Did you game this weekend, Brett? I did not. My in-laws had their 50th wedding anniversary. I was at that. And then it was finally stopped raining and stopped being 100 and some odd degrees outside <sighs> and humid. So I mowed my lawn today. Must then, have been. Then went out back and shot bow and arrow with this with my boy. Did another Rob, did another Robin Hood today, so I crashed what? another arrow. I don't have a ooh <laughs> sound. That's okay. <laughs> it's expensive. Arrows arrows are not cheap. I'm like oh look at that, I smoked one. That's perfect. <laughs> it needs to be that accurate, but ah damn it. Anyway, spot. Did you game this weekend? I did. I killed two more characters, Brett. Did you? I did. Well, let me rephrase that. Two characters found their own death. Nice. Yeah, I didn't kill them. They killed themselves. <laughs> turn to stone when you've been gone. A turn to stone. Was it Medusa? It was not. Uh, Basilisk? Nope. Cockatrice? I can't say there's guys going to be playing this. All right, all right, all right. So we'll say it's uh, Medusa, Medusa-less Cockatrice. There we go. That's what it was. Turn to stone. Nice. Good. Good for them. Turn to stone. All right. Ready? Let's go on, man. We should I, move on. There's nothing like new and crazy going on. We got GameholeCon coming up. Um, Not all of see. our events are full. Not, no, that's true. Not all the events are indeed full yet. And uh, there's still time. People can still submit events, too. They can. So if you want to run a game under the Gaming NBS banner, I would be, Sean, I would be very grateful and thankful. Yes. It would be really, really cool. Well, for those people who do run games for us, we try to do a little something. Last couple of years, we've had um, glasses, uh, pint glasses we've given away. We're trying to get together and sort of what we want to do this year. So we try to do a little something for people who come to Game Con, make the yeah. trip and run games for us. Not optical glasses. Not optical glasses. Not spectacles. No. 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 We are spectacles. We are. We make a spectacle. We, we have, do. <laughs> we, have, we have done that. Welcome to the English language. Yes. Those that are not native English speakers. <laughs> and we were asked very kindly not to give out spectacles because it was we're not doctors and all that. 
but anyway, um, that's about it, man. Nothing, nothing too crazy. I think, um, is the VIG stuff done or is that the VIG stuff is done? There was a few hiccups, I guess. Some people were obviously not very happy. The website, uh, tanked on a few and ticked off a few and well, you know, yeah, it happens. It happens, which is pretty hypocritical of us not tearing up a game hole account for that. Eh, but I, I kind of reflect back, and I I think to myself, maybe I was too harsh on others. Yeah, I mean, I got you look at I run a con; it's a small con, and stupid shit happens. And you think back, even Gary Con stuff. I mean, you're like, God damn it, guys! Ah, oh, this is no good. This is no good. This is no good. Now you got a litany of things, and I can say the same thing about um, Gen, Gen Con. Con. Last yeah. time I was at Gen Con, first time I went to Origins, it was. Kind of a clunky circa 1990s process to get badges. And my understanding is it's gotten much better since then. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's a lot of people that go to these cons. I mean, now Gamehole Con's getting, you know, thousands and thousands. And you're going to get a percentage of people that something doesn't work right. You know? There's usually a single point of failure, uh, I would imagine. Yeah. <sighs> Damn it. Which is unfortunate. I think to me the, the key is, I mean, hmm. Partly, I think, is because I don't care about VIG stuff. I gave mine up. So the person that actually is complaining about it should be thankful they have one because they may not have been able to get one had I personally not given up my own. So it's thanks to you that they have stuff. That's nice. Well, that's how I roll, Brett. I know. You're you're selfless. That's good. It is true. I did give up. Fact. I did give up a VIG bag. Yes, I know you did. But I personally, I just do not go in for the VIG badge thingy. It just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Anyway, oh well. Oh well. So it goes. Shall yeah. we move on? Yeah, we should go to the random encounter. Let's do that. This is where we bring in comments from everybody like you. You, BSer. What are you doing right now? Hey, what are you doing? Hey, you driving in your car? Are you reading a role-playing book, trying to listen to us at the same time? That'll you just can, that'll confuse the crap out of you. Don't do that. Crazy multitasker. All right. So here we go. John got in a real quick comment on our Dragonlance episode, and he said, God damn it. Read it nice, loud, and clearly, Brett. Four words. Fizban, the motherfucking fabulous. What? What? No love for Paladin's earthly incarnation? Tisk tisk. But he still says love you guys. This last piece, these four <laughs> words is what hurts me. Cut hey, me deep. He you, says, "You can't, you can't editorialize." He, 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 ends you with, <laughs> he ends with, "Sean is always right." I, I didn't write it, ladies and gentlemen. I don't, I don't know. John I just, exists. Wait, I don't wrote know. that. I don't know. Your Brett, turn. Brett preemptively interrupted <laughs> that small phrase. All right. MRM 1138, as we, you will know them as MRM. Comments on game mastering, metagaming. I'm fairly new to game mastering, so I think that because of that, I fall a little more to AJ's way of thinking. Oh, okay. So if you are catching this and haven't listened to the episode he's referring to, Brett was talking about his son, AJ, talking about divulging the fact that something is an actual quest. Side quest. A side quest, and the players don't have to do that and it was more metagaming 
Um, and we talked about that. He continues, there have been a few occasions where I've told the players, quote, out of game, there is nothing important about this. End quote. Because I don't want them to waste time messing around with things of no consequence. I've mainly run Watsi's official releases, namely Lost Mine of Fandalver, Horde of the Dragon Queen, and Curse of Strahd. The writers really seem to like putting random nonsense in these adventures for color, I guess. Oh. Aside from that, I have no problem referring to story hooks as either main or side quests. While I get the characters in game wouldn't know that, I've never been big on simulation. Like you said, I'm concerned with making sure my players are having a good time, and I th- and I think knowing those things can contribute to that. That's a damn good point. Honestly, it is. And I mean, we've had a couple of people kick us, kick this type of information back. And yeah, there's, you know, if you think back on it, there's probably plenty of times when I do a little GM to player metagaming as well. Even something as simple as, okay, let me, let me sum up what's just happened. That's metagamey, right? But like I said, at the time, there's something that just hit, struck me as, you know, incongruous with what AJ said, but Folks like this, it makes sense. I'm, I'm getting it. I'm picking it up. I'm picking up what they are laying down. Yeah. And uh, as a buddy of mine once told this kid, you picking up what I'm laying down? And her nine-year-old reply was, you put it down, you pick it up. Oh. Yeah. Sassy thing. Sassy nine-year-old. All right. Laramie, the brick wall. Grand Poobah and His Holiness. Hey, BSers of memory shares, I believe I got the titles correct. You did. You're pretty good there. Good stuff. Thank you, Laramie. Uh, my apologies should my aged mind have faltered in your respective honorifics. That said, I just have a few comments on recent episodes. <clears throat> a little drink of water. Get going. This is a big one. <sighs> Starting with metagame. I think some level of metagame is just part and parcel for RPGs. In my current home game, one of the players asked about how metagamey it was that he was sort of out expected days of healing up in town. Sorting out was... Uh, how metagamey it was that he was sorting out expected days of healing up in town based on the average healing rate of the local healing drink. It's a mead that heals D4 minus uh, D4 minus two minimum zero. Yes, I said, I think it is metagamey, unless you can tell me how much five doses of penicillin will, will improve an infection. Or how much a fever will go down after 650 milligrams of Tylenol. Sure, it's knowledge that characters don't have, but in my eyes, that's just part of the game. Hit points are an abstract and imaginary metric, so be it. I try to keep most conversations in character, but things like this come up and it's not worth worrying about as I find that things like talking about wounds and actual numbers really just speeds up gameplay more than trying to find adjectives. Aside from that, I do lean on the side of more in-game talk, less meta talk. Some of my most memorable moments have come from side quests or things that players thought were important that I, as GM, had no plans for. I fear that if I labeled them as side quests, they wouldn't have been followed. As someone who hasn't really played or tracked video games for the last 20 years, I probably have no idea what most of the language um, that hasn't made it over to uh, tabletop RPGs means anyway. Oh, and how to keep players in character and using their flaws? Rewards. Like many other systems, those uh, those are baked into Hackmaster, so it keeps it easy for me as GM as the players want the rewards. It's hard to penalize your buddies, but in the form of an optional award, they'll work towards it without needing reminding. Ah. Oh, he says, crap, that's a brick of a paragraph. Feel free to edit it. Nah, we're good, man. It's all right. He's got more. 
He continues, talking about starting large, massive pre-written campaigns. My group started Borrow Maze this year. It's probably going to take a while as it's a pretty massive mega dungeon as we play three hours twice a month, which also goes back to finding time to play. Myself and one of the players both have jobs with non-regular schedule, so we just find times that work for everyone. And since I have small kids, we f- play from 2100 to midnight-ish via Fantasy Grounds so we can wait until they're in bed. I'm a little surprised you didn't come back to the letter about average table slash group size in Dragonlance episode. We are talking about groups of 6 to 12 players in modules. Then when we got to Dragonlance stuff, you rattled off all 9 PCs. A perfect example. I remember when I tried running these in college 20 years ago, I think we made it halfway through a module or two, and then we were so far off the rails we just gave up and went back to our regular sandbox-style games. Not a criticism of the modules, as all modules tend to be linear. But running that many module, modules in a row is a long train ride. Did somebody say, say train? train? <laughs> anyway, he, he continues regarding the great Sergio Aragonés. I think I recall reading somewhere. Oh, and this comes up when we mentioned the fact that Mad Magazine went out. Um, I re- think I recall reading somewhere that um, that through a large number of issues of Mad, he had an art. He had art in all of them from the beginning, save one that was apparently due to an error by the post office delivering his work. Might be true, might be legend, but bah. So so what? He is a legend. I'm counting it. Actually, Sergio Aragonis, Sergio Aragonis was often billed by, um, I can't remember the, oh shit, Stan Lee as the world's fastest cartoonist. Sergio is awesome. Anyway, uh, well, I guess I'll be canceling my Patreon as you guys haven't given me the key to enlightenment. But maybe I'll just be happy and wait. Kidding. See you guys at Game Hall. According to last episode, you're going to be buying me a drink. Yours in nerdery, Laramie. Over to you, sir. Guess we're on the hook. Apparently, God dang, these guys listen to us and not, you know, all that stuff we say. They're holding us to it. Yeah, this this being what the hell people actually paying attention is new to us. So, <laughs> I guess over to you, sir. Judge of House Brandon emails us a topic suggestion. Hello, guys. I'm not sure if you've talked about it in the past, but I think the topic of character sheets would be a good subject to talk about. Character As sheets, a dis- eh? Yeah, character scribble, sheets. take notes. Yeah, keep Brett's going. Write that down. Write that down. Uh, as a designer and longtime gamer, I'm very interested in the subject. When I started, we all used graph paper to make characters, but now there are so many options from business card-sized sheets for games like DCC to huge folios with spaces for everything you could think of. I tend toward the more minimalist approach usually, but I've seen some more complicated sheets that also appeal to me. The sheet for Mothership RPG that shows you how to make the character is pretty cool. Also, do you guys write the modifier or the stat larger when the boxes are different sizes? This may cause many debates in my groups. Cheers, Judge Brandon. Hmm. So, Brett, do you write the stat or do you write the modifier larger? Oh, um, if I'm doing it by hand, it's the same. Yeah. If I grab like a D&D 5e character sheet, I put the stat uh, in the smaller bubble of the standard character sheet and the modifier and larger one. Oh. Because that's the one that matters. That's true, I but I just didn't think you'd buck the uh, tradition. Eh, you know me. I'm weird. <laughs> fair. That's fair. But anyway, Mr. Brandon, sir, that is in the uh that's in the schedule, so character sheets logged. That's coming. 
All right, who we got next year? Ah, Mr. Edwin of House Nagy. I assume I'm going to assume that Edwin will chastise us. Let's see what we get. Oh, he's gonna. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I can't believe I never noticed that plot and rules were spelled differently and are in fact different words. I'm so glad I listened to you guys. Yes, we're being chastised. <laughs> Here it comes. So my most memorable. <laughs> <laughs> Some of my most memorable games have been ones with low prep, but I think what I really mean is low resource. For me, there's not much difference between prepping and finding resources and using them quickly, pulling out an old adventure, opening up a starter set, etc. The games that stand out are the ones where we had dice and maybe a rule book and somebody said, let's play. We've made up rules, simplified, call Cthulhu, BX style, simple, etc. When I've run those games, I've almost always started with the characters. As the players made them, I'll, I'd ask leading questions and eventually cobble together enough plot for a few hours. We had one in search of a cannibal cookbook, another where a PC found a ring that had a trap soul in it, and one where I was a player that was sort of a Stranger Things vibe, played with this Call of Cthulhu-ish rules, all improv from the characters. I did a couple sessions that played with, um, excuse me, I did a couple sessions that way with No Thank You Evil for kids. I remember one of the kids was struggling to come up with a name for his character, so the short adventure became a search for the evil wizard that took his name. That gave him an hour to think of a name. It's a super fun challenge and definitely tiring. Seriously, thanks for all the good thinking you sent out over the internet, Edwin. Thanks, Edwin. Thanks, that, Edwin. I'll tell you right there, I'm stealing that idea. The wizard that took his name. That's Ooh. just that's fucking brilliant. Next time I can't come up with a character name in a D&D game, we'll look at the Game Master and say, I don't have a name. A wizard stole it. I'm, I'm using that. Whoa. That, that will be used. Edward Nagy, he's full, in a, full, full of good stuff. stuff man. Oh, oh, good stuff. Yes, good, good stuff. stuff. Good yeah, stuff. Good yeah. stuff. That too. Yeah. <laughs> Harrigan writes in about Not Prepared. Just listen to Not Prepared. Amusing and insightful as usual. Running the system you know well or sticking with a game people can learn quickly is a great idea. I strongly recommend Tiny Dungeon 2E or hmm. Second Edition. For that kind of quick uh, quick pickup play, especially if you can borrow a few tricks from Fate and Dungeon World, take Brett's Tavern Siege idea. Ask the players why their PCs are there, what mission they are already on, who they are staking out in the place, etc. Ask those leading questions and run with the answers. Sharing the load can be uncomfortable for people used to doing all that work themselves, but it really can help in those no prep situations, like in the event the GM no shows at a con. In addition to all the OSR style tools you guys touched on in the episode, encounter tables, weather tables, mission and scenario builders, I would also suggest looking carefully at systems that purposefully include zero level characters. DCC and Shadow of the Demon Lord come to mind. DCC has the character generator on purple sorcerer games, to put a link in the die roll. It's literally a snap to use your phone to make a new character or three. Demon Lord takes longer, but the background roles players make will offer up all kinds of adventure ideas for the game master right from the get-go. That game also has a lot as a load of short modules available for zero level play. Two to four pages that are very easy to skim and get going on. Back briefly on the subject of Dragonlance. And the guy who quit DMing after one session because I read that damned novel? I'll tell you the story next time of why the other player in that 1980s daily high school game also ran once, then quit. Spoiler, it was also my fault. Sigh. 
Keep on keeping on, Harrigan. Harrigan, the one-man Game Master wrecking crew. <laughs> Harrigan, Harrigan, Harrigan is the anti-DM. Apparently. I t- I'm... Actually, I'm interested to hear that story. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. You'll have to write it if you don't want us to read it. Make sure if anybody, any of you that write in and don't want us to say something, like preface that right in the beginning of the email. Don't read the following, and then we won't. On the air. Like, don't read the following on the air. I just wanted to drop you guys a note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. The, um, what else was I going to say? Oh, well, a thing that Harrigan set up here, I want to find this again here. Where Ah, here it is. Sharing the load can be uncomfortable for people not used to doing all that work themselves. I'll tell you, I have found that when you talk to players, and you actually, most of the players I've talked to, even new ones and, and so forth, when the Game Master says, so why are you here in the end, you push them for ideas, almost every player I've played with has been very happy to do that. I have found, in my experience, the discomfort is on my side <laughs> or on the game master side saying, I think the players expect that I'm going to do all that for them. And it may well be that some players are doing that still. They expect the game master to provide everything. But I think the discomfort being un- uncomfortable about offloading stuff tends to actually be the game master. He or she is more uncomfortable than the players are, at least in my experiences, because we've, grown up for whatever reason with this theory that we have to do it all or at least it's perceived that way you said the dungeon master is mostly uncomfortable yeah it, just, it, it feels that way to me yeah i know the first time i started doing it I, I felt like i was shirking my duties because that's how i grew up learning how to game master but then when i started doing that my players like oh sure i'll give you info yeah sure man here's some stuff yeah here here's just another way it basically allowed them to Instead of writing a backstory and giving me a thing that I'm probably not going to read or read all of, they were able to say it out loud at the table and everybody got a taste of it. So it was kind of cool. I have heard the opposite where players are like, why, why do I have to give you all the details? You're the game. You're the dungeon master. Yeah. I think that's because your players, well, they don't it's like not you. my players. I heard it from somebody else. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh, sure. You did. <laughs> like all the, all the boyfriends I have in Niagara Falls area. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, uh, thanks, Her- is... thanks, Harrigan. Yes, I think. Oh, this one's mine. No, Here we go. No, hey, note to self. Yes. Don't um, don't have Harrigan in one of your games. <laughs> <laughs> We're kidding, man. Honestly, I, I'd love to hear the story if you're willing to tell it. So anyway, let's see. Mr. Davey of House White says, Dear Brett and Sean, thanks for a wonderful podcast. I've been listening to you guys for a while. I have to say listening to you is an amazing way to pass my commuting time. We are very good at helping you waste time. Making longer or, things team, seem less tedious, we try. Or induce road rage. Or inducing road rage, that too. You drive more aggressively and therefore you get to work faster. Hey, it's a win-win. Anyway, he continues. I've only started listening to podcasts recently and working my way through substantial library. I know you insist on listening to the episodes in order, and I have for the most part. However, some of the topics I see are applicable to my next session, so I feel the need to check them out immediately. Try as I might, though, I lack the discipline to do 200 plus episodes in sequence. To remedy this, I have uh, started using the FFG Star Wars dice to randomly determine which episode to listen to next. That that's funny. I like that. That's a joke. That is a very good joke. Because there's no numbers. <laughs> there's no on the numbers FFG on those Star dice. Wars yes. dice. Yeah, that's very good. Very very well done. That's that's very nice. Yeah, bravo. That's a <laughs> <word>. <laughs> he continues. I read that. I'm like, 
Wait a second. Anyway, he continues. I just listened to episode 120. At the start of the show, I thought Sean's New Zealand accent was bang on. Well, the grief. Then I realized I was listening to a voicemail by the Goblin's henchman, who is clearly not North American. Or Sean. Fingers crossed you get there. <laughs> episode 59, you talked fear in RPGs and whether a mechanic helps amp up the tension. I feel the mechanics certainly help. A couple of years ago, my friends and I played Warhammer Fantasy Role-Playing 3rd Edition. My friend played an art fixer. And uh, the other, uh, Kisavite Barber. The combination of the dark, dangerous, and weird knights in Bogenhofen, uh, the non-combative nature of the characters, and the stress, fatigue, and sanity mechanics all play a hand in creating tense sessions for the players and the player characters. As a GM, having another source, having another resource outside of wounds, and having to use violence to remove those to play was a real boon. Stress and fatigue, which have been rolled into strain in Star Wars. And Genesis gave me opportunities to use moments that uh, that put the players in situations where one of them might have to start to suffer penalties to roles or finally just outright collapse. My friends are great role players and get into the skins of their guys, but having these stress points starting to build up gave something to watch and fret over. For example, me, you're down the sewers and the thing back there is still behind you, closer even. Agent, okay, I'm going to try to figure out the best way to lose this thing. I'm going to look around for a place to disappear into. I burn extra stress to get the extra die. You sure about that? You're close to being stressed out. You picked up two when you were examining that bloated body back there. I got this. Rolls gets a success, but additional stress on the roll. Plus, the one burn has to draw random temporary insanity. Manfred doesn't look so good, Dishko. You're going to gonna have to be able to hand me that thing. Are you going to be able to handle that? going to be able to do that? All right. The characters are at full wounds, but this other thing they're tracking is messing with them and forcing them to make choices with their precious characters. It became the real currency of the game. Manfred's player has a run of bad luck, and it became a part of the way Disco would look at him before they went into various encounters. How stable was Manny before they hit the streets? Disco, on the other hand, became unflappable, and a few times he did pick up some stress, it became a meaningful story moment. Anyway... My two cents. Thanks for the dive roll section. Links you post there. Some of the aids have been great, and I purchased other highlighted items in those sections. You do the community good. Cheers, Davey White. Thanks, Davey. That's very nice of you. Yeah, thanks, Davey. Thanks for writing in. And that's a really good example, too, that you wrote about, you know, with stress and fatigue and stuff. Using those narrative components slapped in with a little mechanics like that, which is exactly what the mechanics are there to do for you. Is uh, is really good stuff. It can it causes that freak out moment was you watch numbers and things slip and slide around from underneath your precious character sheet. It's very cool. Yeah. Over to you, sir. Jared of House Rasher comments on never prepared. I once ran a DC Adventures game that I had done zero prep for by allowing the players to pick uh, all pick a DC hero from the core rulebook to play. I set it on an alternate Earth where the Justice League hadn't formed yet. And they were brought together by an invasion by Brainiac, which worked pretty well. The actual rules of mutants and masterminds are pretty easy to adjudicate. It's just building characters from scratch that takes a while. If I had playbooks printed out, I would have a fairly easy time running Monsters of the Week uh, or Monster of the Week or Worldwide Wrestling, both PBTA games powered by the Apocalypse, without much in the way of prep. I've run both Rocker Boys and Vending Machines and Love and Justice, which are both zero-prep, two- or three-page games made by people we all know and love. I picked up the It's Not My Fault cards for Fate, which lets you draw a few cards to quickly generate a character, then have cards for what just happened and how the situation is about to get worse, and you get start. You start the game with everyone explaining how the starting situation isn't their fault. 
I've run that several times and it's a lot of fun. I really like Dusk City Outlaws as a no prep game. It's designed to be run on the fly with character creation essentially being a matter of picking a card for what faction your character is from and what role they serve in the criminal underworld, then selecting the heist the group will play through from one of the heists detailed in the book. There is another game from Rodney Thompson, who used to be on uh, Wizards of the Coast staff. He actually, this is me speaking, he was actually on the Star Wars Saga edition. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Okay. That's where I know the name. Yep. So he's the designer that made Dusk City Outlaws, which I remember being on Kickstarter, as well as working on several D20 games and the Lords of Waterdeep board game with my buddy Peter Lee, uh, called Spectaculars. That applies to a similar formula to superheroes that Dusk City Outlaws applies to, Fantasy Heists. And Dusk City Outlaws also has a Neon City Outlaws that reskins the setting for cyberpunk crimes. Hmm. Hmm, indeed. Don't know much about what Rodney's up to, but I know I heard of Dusk City Outlaws. I just didn't know much about it at all, actually. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Thanks, as always, Jared. It's good stuff. All right, see, Jim Fitzpatrick, uh, not prepared, BNS. Just listened to episode 251 and was thinking about what the best system pick up and play. I thought my answer to this would be 100% 5e, but it's not. It's actually the Cypher system, and here's why. I just am so disappointed in Jim. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here, here's his reasons. Number one, mostly D, D20, excuse me, mostly D20 at its core. Two, creating a PC, NPC monster obstacle literally takes two seconds. You sign a level from one to ten. Pre-gens are easily available with the Cookie Monster on Monty Cook Games' website. <laughs> it's really easy to pick up a character because of the character sentence. If you never played a game, it's hard to look at a character sheet and, and understand what all the stats do. But you can look at the character sentence and easily say that you want to be a sneaky rogue who works the back alleys. Four, the GM intrusion mechanic gives me something in my back pocket because I don't do any planning. If things are getting way too off track or I have a great idea mid-session, I can use intrusions to steer toward it. I also think a little bit of Dungeon World style Q&A is a great way to spend 10 minutes during setup. By creating bonds between the characters, characters, you can use those in the game. Hey, Fightor, this ass of a town guardsman is threatening you and your best friend since childhood. How are you going to let that happen? It gives players an invitation to do something, and whether they do, it opens up the possibilities as a GM to move the game forward. Finally, as part of the Numenera 2 Kickstarter... Cookie Monster Games just released a whole book of 10 mini modules designed to pick up and play immediately. I got the book yesterday and skimmed them, and they are fantastic. There are pre-gens in the back, too. I'm wondering why more companies don't make this kind of targeted product. Drive it like you stole it, Jim. You know, Jim, that's a damn good question. Why aren't more game companies making this type of targeted product? That's a really neat idea. Like, hey, you like Numenera? Hey, here's the deal. Here's a book. It's got 10 mini modules and some pre-gens. Run. That's pretty cool. That's a damn good idea. That's just crazy. That's that's so crazy it may just work. That's the power of the cookie monster. Over yeah. you, sir. Eric of House Saul's Weedle writes in about suspending belief. Greetings, gents. There are a few things in games where my logic circuit kicks in and can get me sidetracked and find myself not enjoying the game because of it. I can usually remind myself we are playing a game with lasers and dragons, and get myself back on track. One of the issues I have is with falling damage, but it is low-level 
characters and falling. You guys have covered that a 10-foot fall in most games does 1d6 damage. If you have a zero character, zero level character, DCC, or another low-level classic D&D non-fighter, you will have very few hit points if you don't start with the max hit point for the level. With average damage on a 1d6, it is a 50-50 proposition. I am most likely equivalent to a level zero character, level one at best, and pretty confident that on a 10-foot fall, it's not a 50% chance that I will perish. I think the average fall height for death is something like 28 feet. Google did not like it when I searched for such information. <laughs> How far do I have to push my coworker? And I'm sorry. Um... I would like to see games work more of the injury aspect into it for falls like this. Break an ankle, shatter a femur, knock myself out? I can buy that happening on a 10-foot fall. Those are just my thoughts. Not right, not wrong. Well, maybe wrong, but they are my thoughts nonetheless. Eric, Salzweigel. There is... Sean, I've talked about this a bit in the past, and this may bear a deeper dive, but when you're playing a game that has hit points or a game that doesn't have critical hits or specific types of injuries, sometimes injecting, we've talked about this before, injecting an injury mechanic of some kind into D&D-style gaming can be a little clunky, but I think there are ways to do it. And you're right. If I were to fall 10 feet, chances are I'm not going to die. I've fallen off the roof of a house before. Didn't die. Was sore. You, you didn't, didn't go, die. You didn't go ahead first, buddy. Ah, see, that I'm just getting there. Thank you very much. So part of it, too, is depending how the hell you fall, right? Um, I've read stories about guys that have fallen out of tree stands, fallen 15 feet, and they're paralyzed from the chest down. Landed just right and or just wrong in that case, and they're not moving anymore. So, yeah, it's... It's interesting. It's interesting. And I think the the idea of adding a twist, like a, a hurt ankle or, you know, crack your leg or you're slightly woozy from smacking your head or something, there's ways to do that in a system that doesn't have that particular type of normal wound mechanic or injury mechanic. But eh, we'll have to talk about that, I think. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, Eric. Thank you very much. Kyle of House Davis writes us about... Dragonlance. Awesome episode on Dragonlance. Your conversation really brought back many great memories. I was moved to rummage through my shelves to look for, at all the gaming material I had for the setting. I have almost everything produced, and I found many of my old handwritten notes stuffed into some of the box sets. I'll tell you, man, that's fun. That's one of the, <laughs> that's one of the reasons. Before you sell anything, ladies and gentlemen out there, like, ah, I'm never going to play this again. Rifle through that box set and look for the notes you may have left in there or the character sheets. I'm not saying it's going to stop you from selling it. But sometimes that little nostalgia is fun. Anyway, he continues. Um, Carl goes on to say, I ran a series of Dragonlance-based AD&D adventures at Gen Con from 1995 through early 2000s before I finally retired them. My favorite was called Top Knots and Takesis Oh My, in which, three, which included three Kender player characters. I would have gamers showing up 20 minutes in advance to try to get one of the three Kender. I never laughed so hard running any other adventures. Players would end up doing wacky things like stealing a dragon, High Lord's helmet, riding Draconian's piggyback style, and even attempting to grab a dragon by the tail. Allowing my players to take the role of an impish kender really brought out everyone's creativity. 
Both mentioned that rich and detailed setting based on franchises are harder to create your own stories in. I completely agree and avoided most settings based on beloved franchises. However, there was a Dragonlance product that tried to help with this. Although I understand Mr. Hickman hated this accessory, TSR produced a product called Time of the Dragons, which described a lost continent continent, excuse me, a lost continent called Taladas. I set one of my campaigns in this area because it did allow more freedom to add my stories. This had all the flavor of Dragonlance, but added some unknowns for players to discover. As always, thank you for a great show and a topic that brought back some fond memories. Dragonlance will always remain one of my favorite worlds. I'm hoping to bring it to a Savage World setting t- sometime. Carl Davis. Savage Worlds and Dragonlance, man. That could be something. That could definitely be something. Have fun, Carl. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. That was a load of good stuff, folks. Thank you all very much. Yes, thank everybody for writing in, commenting. Um, if you'd like to comment, you can go to our website. You can write us an email. You can give us a call. But keep them coming. Good stuff, man. I know a lot of people appreciate all these stories. They're good stuff. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's get to the main topic, man. Let's move it on. Right. You ready? I'm ready, man. All right. Vehicles, mounts, and combat. Vroom, vroom. Or, you know, nay, winnie, and such. Yeah. Clockety, clockety. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about mounts and, you know, NPC gear or living gear ages back. For those of you going through the old back catalog who have suffered with us all these long years. Um, So, Sean... Do you, before we get into this much, how big a role, let's say in your fantasy game, your D&D game, on average, are mounts like wagons, horses, or, I mean, wagons aren't mounts, but like a vehicle. How much does that actually play into your game? Is it like, a, yeah, 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 go get a wagon so you can haul the treasure back? Or is it an integral piece of how you like to tell your stories? I think it start. there's my experiences where it starts out as being something that may be relatively important and then later on isn't so i have a tomb of annihilation <laughs> all, game. all good all good intentions eventually fall apart tomb of annihilation game they get to the port of nairanzu nairatsu you know hey you got to find a guide great you probably want to find you know a uh, beast of burden so they they get one, and then I think in the second session or third session into the jungle, uh, their stuff disappears. Mm. And ever since, there hasn't been any real repercussions of well, was that on, you know, them? I mean, was it was that piece of was that item that you had on the beast? Oh, so like oh, we've got all this adventuring gear. But you never later said, well, your tent was on the horse, so obviously you're sleeping out in the bug-infested swamp. Right. We just kind of went, well, you know, the beast is gone. They're like, so what? We got what we need. Okay. It's all good. I mean, I I didn't play into the minutia that I could have. How about in your um, more modern settings where it's um, cars, vehicles, airplanes in a modern type setting? Well, that'll get to the Call of Cthulhu game as they go into the jungle on their expedition. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go too much in the, the nuances about that. They're like, do you have it in your suitcase or not? I did tell them to go and, you know, go shopping. 
and buy whatever gear they think is needed. But you don't, you're not making them buy like motorcycles and trucks and half tracks and stuff. Oh, they're going to have transportation arranged on this particular uh, part of their journey. So how this kind of helps me lead into it. Thank you very much. So one of the interesting things is how do you deal with routine maintenance on that type of stuff? Oh in man, your game? Are you kidding me? Are you do serious? you do or, or all your horses are nothing more than herbivorous bicycles? They just they eat the countryside as they go and drink the water from the local streams and when yeah, it rain yeah, when yeah. when it rains they just take their heads and look up into the sky and have the water drip into their mouths. So you hand wave it. Yeah, I don't I think the type of game that you play you will either want to facilitate that or you won't. And I think the type of game that you want to facilitate that is usually more than likely a game where you're how how many rations did you pack? What's your encumbrance? Or it's a game where let's just say it, traveler. You're yeah. on a fucking spaceship. Sure. <laughs> you know? Are you on a spaceship? Yeah. Guess what's a huge critical piece of your existence? The goddamn spaceship. Right. Right. Because yeah. no spaceship then saying, "Hey, by the way, the um, the food uh, the the food machines busted. Oh shit! Oh yeah, your oxygen, your anti gravity, or, or your gravity machine, whatever, blah blah blah, is broken. So those types of maintenance things become very important. That's a different game, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think that's kind of well, at least it felt like that's where you're going. You're saying if you're yes going to true. make it important, the type of game that makes routine maintenance of mounts and vehicles you've got a the game itself is either geared towards it or you need to stick to your guns and make it so yes 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 Mm -hmm. do you like dealing with that crap in your games i shouldn't say crap crap that's a leading question like deal with that shit really i think what you brought up with the starship example is a game that would interest me because i think if you make it at a centerpiece of traveler or Serenity, Firefly, you know, that is a core part of how you, how it may build a story. Yeah, it's like Waterborne Adventures too, like Sea King's Malice type of thing. Sure. I mean, if you're out there on the, on the waves, either being a pirate or a ninja or a pirate ninja, pirate ninja dinosaur, as Alex Cameron would have you be. Right. Um, you would, you'd have to care about that ship, right? Ex- yeah. If it's the focal point of like, hey, I'm. I'm going out on a journey, and I'm going on my ship, and then your ship has a hole in it. So I tell you, one of my one of my favorite things to do is, I'll, so I'll tell a story about my buddy Lenny in my uh, vampire game ages back. His character is wealthy as hell. He has his Porsche. He's got to get from one end of the city to the other. In the meantime, Vlad Dracula, they're trying to set this thing up. Dracula's in town. And they're kind of sort of working with him for him, kind of at odds. It's a very tenuous weirdness. And he, Lenny's character has to get from one end of town to the other. He goes to the one end of town. I described the, this piece of town he's going to. It's skeevy. It's not a good place. It's, you know, bad, bad neighborhood. He's like, that's fine. I'm going to be in and out. A badass motherfucking creature of the night. I got this. Pulls the car up, runs out, comes back. I make sure that the thing he has to do, it took a little bit longer than he expected. He comes back. And the car's up on blocks. No t- no doors. No hood for the motor. Tires are gone. Windshield's gone. He's like, what? Really? And I, <laughs> it never it never been like a maintenance thing or anything like that. But it was that one point where basically Dracula set him up in the meantime. 
and made sure that he couldn't get to where he needed to go so Vlad could just take when he didn't get the hell out of town. And the guy still, <laughs> Lenny especially, still tells that story about how, like, holy shit, I never thought that having this car would ever be a hindrance because they had this fast vehicle that could get from point A to point B really quick um, and all this stuff. And then, lo, lo and behold, he, you know, pops out of wherever he was and there the car's up on blocks. Son of a bitch, you know. It's not like he was stranded. Like, if you're on a, on a moon, the forest moon of Endor, you crash into it. And suddenly your spaceship can't leave. You're stuck on this fucking planet. This was in a town, in a city. He could walk around. He could get a cab or do what he needed to. But it became it became a focal piece of that evening when he was stranded without a ride. Have you ever done anything like that? Like horses even? Just taking horses away or something? Sure, but I haven't had it impact the story too much. So more of a just an annoyance? Yeah, you come out and your horses are gone, dead. So then it's then it's like, well, now your your travel time is going to be doubled. That was the classic thing to do in D&D, right? You get horses, wagon stuff because you're going to go in a dungeon where we were kids. You're going to come back out. Your character is going to load all this stuff up. You get your horses, you tie them up or you do whatever, you hobble them. All right, we'll go down the dungeon. You're down the dungeon for like a month or some unseen amount of time. And you finally make your way to the surface and... Your game master has murdered your horses, or they're gone, or whatever the case is. That was a that's a classic, like D and D wilderness adventure. Fuck you, right? They should have brought them with. Should have brought them into the dungeon. That's what you should do. I knew guys used to buy cattle and try to drive them into dungeons in order to um, uh, find traps. <laughs> People are jerks. Anyway, so do you? When you think about this, Sean, do you think? You know, I really should do more with routine maintenance for my games or like, hey, no, if unless the game is specifically about it, it's not a, it's worth hand waving. Is that where you're at? I am. I think for the most part, I mean, if I saw that there was a purpose behind pushing that component, then I would. But I haven't in a long time. And even current games, I'm like, yeah, I think it's kind of part of the deal. I do think they they need to be needed. Um, but it can be kind of bookkeepy, right? They can be bookkeepy, but I also think that, okay, you're going on an expedition into the jungle. You know it's going to take weeks. You're going to need supplies. I think that's an okay thing. I think you can do it at a 100-foot view and say, all right, great. We buy everything that we want. Great. And you're not going to carry it all. Nope, that's why we got Bill the horse. Great. Fine. That's taken care of, right? It, it alleviates the... Well, we just stack up on everything and we just carry it into the jungle. Okay, great. So we've solidified the fact that there's a beast of burden that's going to carry it. Once something happens to that beast of burden, then it is maybe not so much a, hey, how many days of water do you have left? But most of your supplies are gone. So now what does that trigger? Kind of story point wise. So the next encounter are you going to kill everybody? Or are you going to negotiate? They obviously are surviving. Maybe you come across an outpost um, and you have no supplies. I mean, you could get into the weeds and say, hey, um, you got like one day's worth of food left. But yeah, it is real bookkeeping. I like the idea from a maintenance perspective, keeping it at that higher level. Sure. Just like, hey, you'll, you know, 
you've been riding the horses pretty hardcore for the last week. They need to rest. You're just, they're done. They're stumbling. They're staggering. You keep pushing your mounts. They're going to break a leg. Hey, you just went through five, you know, planet drops. You guys have not done any maintenance on the ship. The pilot, point at the character who's playing the pilot, she can tell you that it's acting a little sketchy on the way down. You probably need to check the baffles. Oh, yeah. All right. Good point. Yeah. We really haven't done any maintenance, you know, kind of doing that at that high level at random or regular or sometimes even irregular intervals can be pretty damn helpful. That's well, what you're and, saying. And it's okay. You're being chased and your horses are getting tired. Mm-hmm. We push them. Well, okay. One keels over, you know, maybe you get a half, half day further along. But eventually, you're gonna have to face the face the piper. Yeah, I think with vehicle stuff, especially spaceships and so forth, I have found more mechanics in the game. Like I'll use Traveler, um, tends to have uh, probably Star Wars does too. I'm thinking, I can't remember last time you and I played if there was if uh, there was a lot of this in there. But the aluminum Falcon always had problems with the typer drive. <laughs> exactly. No, what I'm saying is mechanically speaking in the game system, you know, the game system has stuff in it to oh, simulate yeah. the care and maintenance of vehicles. I don't always see that. And maybe it's somewhere buried in, in the D&D rules. I'm just not recalling it for mounts, you know, griffins and so forth. You could see, oh, if you have a griffin as a mount, it will, it requires, you know, five goats a week or something to feed or whatever to fuck griffins, eat horses or whatever. And hippogriffs need to eat this and flying what whatever and you need to eat this other stuff. Um, but it's always... Mounts just seem to be kind of, excuse me, kind of an afterthought for a care and feeding. I tend to find at least the mechanics that stick out in my mind are the ones around vehicles, especially space vehicles, because it's so goddamn critical <laughs> that the tin can you're floating around in space in, the only thing keeping you alive needs to be maintained. You know, it's part of the realism or the simulation of that environment. Is that is that what you find as well? Yeah, and those... Specific games, I would say yes. And then they do have things go bad. Yeah. Moving parts. Yeah. Whatever. One of my favorite uh, Firefly episodes. Have you have you seen Firefly? Oh, man. Just checking. Just want to know if I could take this guy from you. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, there's the, the one episode where there's a piece that breaks and they're running out of oxygen. So, spoilers. Most of the crew leaves to go try to find help. The captain's there. And another ship comes by and says, hey, well, you know, what's up? And he's like, this is broken. He says, boy, that's a pretty small and significant piece. He goes, not if you, the one you have doesn't work. <laughs> this is the thing. This is the doohickey. This is the MacGuffin. This is the, the, the little jobber that's providing oxygen for the whole goddamn ship. The whole episode was around that. No kind of a lot of flashbacks and other things tell fill in bits and pieces. But that's a pretty tense episode. Yeah. And I think... Again, when you're in space, well, one, we've learned no one can hear your scream. And two, um, there's not a hardware store anywhere nearby, depending where you're at. So it can be pretty sketchy, which is, I would assume, very much how early explorers, <coughs> excuse me, or even modern day explorers feel when you're packed up and you're going somewhere on a dog sled or boat or anything like that into unknown, like your folks going into the jungles of Chult. Um, in into the tomb of annihilation, they don't know if those horses are coming back. All right, they don't know if they're going to come back. 
Dinosaurs. 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 They, they, those are hell on horses, they, I've heard. They used, no, they use dinosaurs. They use dinosaurs as mounts? Yeah. You don't take horses into the jungle. Oh, Not okay. in the jungle of Chult. Jeez, Brett. Come Sorry. on. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Not up on my Chult. My Chult riding. Jeez, man. So, all right. So, talking about maintenance and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Let's talk about combat on mounts and vehicles. When's the last time you had a good joust, Sean? Did you, you ever... Ever have your knight hop on the charger, drop the lance, and charge the dragon? When's the last time that happened, man? Joust is so 900 BC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mini guns on that on that I, horse. No. I don't even know. Um, I can't remember the last time we had a joust. Well, I'm just, do you do mounted combat? Let's take vehicles, spaceships, and stuff out of it. But like dragon i mean thinking about dragonlance have you when's the last time you had you know uh, an air battle in D D with people on mounts or on, on the ground smashing into stuff do you do you run into that much no me neither i mean modern maybe chases but nothing nothing in the fantasy space i wonder if i'm missing something there man maybe maybe we're doing it wrong well i'll tell you especially like in the the last times that I have had mounted combat fights. Usually, the players, the first thing they do is the PCs dismount in my games. Yeah. And then, if there's goblins riding on big wargs or something, they fight those. Or the bad guys can be mounted. But most of my player characters, I don't know if it's because I'm lacking cavalier types or people who really want to, you know, have a lance or doing like that, but nobody is taking, in my groups anyway, no one is taking the you know mounted combat specialty where they. I remember being in high school, dude. Always making sure we had war horses because war war horses were another meat shield and something you could drag into combat with you because they could fight, right? Yeah. But I but now when I'm playing with most folks in my groups anyway, if you're out in the wilds, you dismount and then engage the and then engage on foot. Maybe someone has a fly spell or something like that where they're up in the air, but nine times out of ten they just dismount, fight from foot. So, how is it? Do, are you encountering the same type of thing? Y yeah. That that was helpful. Well, I mean, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't. Run so, when, into when your bad guys are charging in on dinosaurs in the jungle of Chult, do your player characters like, oh, we should get on mounts as well and fight them mount to mount, or they always stay stand foot? Huh. Or it doesn't even cross anybody's mind. Well, it hasn't presented itself, but it could. Like I said, it, it's, a, it's weird because if I read like a T.H. White's Once in Future King and you read, you know, anything with King Arthur's jousting and so forth, that idea in Pendragon jousting's there and so forth. But I don't – mounted combat used to be a thing for my groups, um, especially in high school, even early college. But for whatever reason, no one, no one i.e. no one that Brett has played with – Seems to be into it. And I would just, it sounds like you're running into much the same. Was mounted combat in your fantasy games ever a thing for you or your groups? You know, I don't know. We might have at one time, but I don't, I, nothing stands out. Really? Yeah, I can't remember when. So let's say Unearth Arcana comes out. Do, do you have anybody like, oh, I gotta be the Cavalier, man? No one did that? Oh, that is true. I mean, I played the Cavalier uh, when that came out. And I, I think uh, we'd have outdoor something. We'd have an outdoor encounter, and then I'd be like, "Oh, I'm on my mount," and I'd handle my lance because, like, the lance damage was crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Like it was like, well, man, Paladins, I'm, Paladins I'm taking down everything. A, Paladins could call. I think I don't know if they still can. It's been. I haven't read the rules yet. The war horse. For the, the, yeah, the, the holy horse of doom. Whatever the hell they rode. You know, they could <laughs> call the holy horse. Holy horses, Batman, and yeah, they had a big. You know, their holy war horse thing would show up. Yeah, I don't. They, I don't run into it anymore. It mounted mounts used to be like a cool thing, and I yeah. don't. And I'm wondering. What if I should bring that back <laughs> in my game? Yeah, it might be something to explore. Especially when you're talking small towns or city campaign. Now, granted, if you take it outside of like an Avalon-style city where it's dark and gritty and very, very street-level people on feet, if you take it to, <coughs> excuse me, almost a more traditional type of um, fantasy city, it might be worth it to have a jousting competition. Like you did to us in the um, in the Star Wars game. We had a pod racing. Remember that? I do remember that. So if you take that and then turn it into jousting, right? The same type of thing, flip the script, put it in a fantasy quasi-medieval setting and have it be a joust. And I, if nothing else, my group would probably be like, wow, this is new and different because it's been 30 years since we've done mounted combat of any kind. So I'm starting to think, I mean, I should probably read up on my mounted combat in 5e and anything else, or Pathfinder, for what we've been playing lately. But anyhow, I think it might be interesting to bring back. And even with, in D&D, you can have, or any of your fantasy games, I shouldn't say any, but a lot of them, you have aerial battles too. You can have dragon riders, people on griffins, pegasi, all that stuff is all possible. But like I said, I just, I don't, we haven't had the call for mounted combat lately. Feels like it's something that I might want to bring back in just to, if nothing else, mix it up a bit. My campaigns as of late in with my home group, my Pathfinder game in the Outlands of Avalon, they've been outside a lot. Very little dungeon crawling stuff. But we've never said, hey, we should get on horses and mix it up that way. Tomb Maybe. of Annihilation has dra- uh has dinosaur races. Are you serious? Yeah. In Schult. <laughs> port awesome. Port Nine Rons Nine Nine Zaru has like uh, during the season, like weekly dinosaur races, and the Brontosaurus wins by a neck. But I'm yeah, yep. So you can go and place bets on them. Hell, I think even player characters can opt to participate. That's funny. Yeah. So let's let's flip it then. Vehicular combat, right? And I th- spaceships is like if you've got a spaceship, one of the first things you want to do is does it have armor and guns? Because at some point. We're going to have some spaceship combat. Yeah. Are you a big, do you like spaceship combat? That big, that big stuff like that? I don't mind it. I think it's, it can be fun, but I also have to have rules that are okay and not too clunky and overbearing. How do you Um, deal with it when you have the pilot and um, five other player characters with nothing else to do? (laughs) Oh, that, well, in the Star Wars game, you have them do things. Like what, Sean? Well, you could have one pilot, one co-pilot. Okay. So as the as you're making co-pilot and pilot roles, ah. those will give you advantages or boons or buffs to do better, repair your ship, maybe quicker, maybe boost the power at that point in time. All right, so everybody's got a role to play. Use some skills. Yes, Juice man. the system. Okay, cool, cool. You got gunners that may or may not be manning guns, but they could be the eyes and ears of what's going on around them. Like, hey, we got to, you know, he's coming up on us in the yep. rear. Bogey what is that Gunner mean? six coming up from beneath, something like that. Yeah, and then the pilot can act. And then it's almost kind of like as they 
participate and succeed in their abilities to function will give the overall team a, it's kind of like a skill challenge, but it'll give a team a, a more advantageous, positive result. And that's built in, that's kind of built into the Star Wars mechanics, am I correct? It is for the most part, yeah. I mean, you will want to incorporate some of those. So you can have a gunner and you can have a pilot, mm-hmm. co-pilot. Um, Cause I'll tell you, if that type of thing isn't in your system and you do have a vehicle combat and this goes for everything from cars to trains, yeah, Jeeps, helicopters, whatever. This is where I think those, even if you can't think, you know, like suddenly the group's in a helicopter and then a weird aerial dogfight, you're like, fuck, I don't know what the aerial dogfight rules are. And I've got one person piloting, they're making piloting checks. Someone's on the gun. Um, the other two characters do. Because you don't want everybody bored, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think it's a great opportunity, what you just said, Sean, is that even if you don't remember the rule offhand, you don't want to take the time to look it up, or for some reason, God only knows, the the system you're running doesn't have a mechanic for it, everything you just talked about is perfect, right? What, what are the eight other rules? What are the ways that you, that character can aid another character and give them a bonus on their dice? Or a bonus on the roll, or an extra, or an extra roll, or something along those lines. I think those types of mechanics, even if you don't know anything else, that's the perfect opportunity to make those vehicle vehicular combats all inclusive and much more interesting for the group as a whole. Does that make sense? Yeah, even even the ones that aren't direct directly, they have the skills that directly apply to the situation. So there's no brainers. Pilot's going to pilot. Co-pilot's going to navigate. The uh, gunner's going to shoot. Mm-hmm. But if you've got somebody that's just in the back, hey, if you've got cargo, any minute that cargo could get loose. Like it's being jostled around, maybe something goes. So that person can, maybe they're not a loadmaster. Like maybe there's no loadmaster skill. They mm-hmm. could they could still say, I'm going to go check and make sure everything's secure so that if anything hits the fan or anything comes loose, I can tighten it down. When Great. anytime your ship gets hit... Right. If, right. If, you're, if you're on a train or a helicopter, you get hit, you know, where's the damage? The pilot's busy. The gunner's busy. If you could look out and say, we're losing oil. Yeah. Right. They could see pressure. I mean, they could see pressure dropping and things are happening. But if you're like, okay, yeah, that it's coming from over here, that can be drastically helpful too. Man, Star Trek, dude, if you're in Star Trek world, there's like five or six people involved with making sure that ship operates properly. Scotty, what's going on? Oh, Cotton, she's all beat the hell. Yeah. Sensor reading, give me a communications. Yes. Open up the communications. And I think that I have found in the past that if you don't do it often, when you get to vehicular combat, the person driving and the person shooting, everyone else is like, well, there's nothing for me to do. Because it's not common or regular for them to do that. You know what I'm saying? If you haven't done that type of... Um, gaming before, I guess, or if it's not something your your group and you are very familiar with, I think keeping all those ideas in mind, like, hey, somebody should go check this out. You know, you're in the plane, you're in the cargo plane, and it starts acting funny. Somebody go check on the load. Something's banging around back there. That's not good, right? So I think as Game Master and if even as a player, you can help to get everybody engaged in, in what's going on and making it entertaining. Even if you could be something even as crazy cinematic as, you know, if you're in a car and you blow out a wheel on, you know, rear side passenger, everybody 
lean on the other side of the vehicle just to try to get the try to get the pressure off the wheel. I mean, you could get crazy cinematic anything you want to, but um, it's a great opportunity to get people involved, like you said. Even if you don't happen to have mechanics that do it or you can't recall what they are, those eight other mechanics and allow people to be as creative as they can. Like, hey, can I use my spot hidden check to see where where the vehicles where 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 the vehicle got shot? Or can I can I do a search check to see if I can find another cargo strap to do something? You know, yeah, let them let people do that stuff because I think it's a good way to get everybody again engaged in the vehicular combat. Sure. I think that may actually, now we've said that out loud, maybe one of the things about mounted combat in your fantasy type game where you're on horseback or donkey back or griffin or whatever, that unless everybody has a mount, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like there's nothing to do, potentially. Well, then you got to kind of expedite things. Like how? How would you do that? Well, uh, make a couple rolls, sum up the end, narrate it out. Okay. Don't get into the nuances. Don't go turn by turn. Say, hey, make it maybe even a skill challenge where you're doing like, all right, we're going to do four checks. Well, let's say, I mean, so you're on your Pegasus. No one else in the group happens to have one. You fly right. up there and you're fighting the Griffin in the air. Yeah. And the rest of the group's going, oh, neat. He's fighting right. Griffin. Right. We're just down here. Yeah, you go up nothing. there. Give me some rolls, Griffin Rider. Okay, great. Awesome. Let me roll. Okay, great. All right, this is how this is going to play out. Oh, okay. Kind Sound of good? summing up. Yeah, man. You don't, you don't have to take this turn-by-turn 30-round turn combat just because there's one person involved. Or maybe you want to, and hey, everybody, it's uh, lunchtime for everybody else. <laughs> you know, the other thing to do, though, is while you're doing those die rolls, is that if the um, one thing that can happen in that example, your knights on the Pegasus goes up there and engages the Griffin, a successful combat roll, from you doesn't necessarily deal damage. You could let the player choose. You can either deal your D8 points of damage or you force the Griffin low enough that the rest of the player characters get a shot at it. Ah, okay. So I could either do my D8 or whatever damage or the other five people can wail on this thing. Maybe Ooh. they get, maybe, and then they got to look at the, and the other player characters. You'd be like, yeah, yeah, bring it over here. Bring it over here. You know, they're drooling at the table, right? So, driving it around so that that's another that's a way to get that type of thing engaged even on ground right if your knight is harrying the you know dire t-rex or whatever he or she happens to be going after it i'm on you know horse charger lance stabby doing it they're keeping it occupied they're keeping it pinned so the rest of the characters have an opportunity to, to engage closer right yeah yeah yeah. But I think those tactics, what happens, at least in my experience, is that I'm remembering again back to when we had mounted combat, when it was a thing, that people who really liked it tended to, well, the combat could easily be monopolized. And I like your idea, what you just threw out there is like extrapolating the die rolls, mixing in there some, you know, game master metagaming to harken back to that. And what our listeners just hit us with too is like, hey, you know, while he's got them busy, you, other player characters, you can get over here. You can make moves. You can get in closer. You know, especially if you're doing theater of the mind and people can't see the figure on the table to move their figures up to it. You can describe the scene saying, look, you know, the dire T-Rex is totally distracted by the two knights on horseback. Your ranger and your thief and your wizard could get around behind it and lay into it if you want to. 
you know, and helping to lay that scene so they understand there's chaos with the mounted combat going on and the craziness there, be it in the sky or on the ground. Hey, the rest of you have an opportunity to engage. Do you want to do that? Yes or no? That makes sense? Yes. Cool. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just, we, we've talked about mounted combat and vehicular combat. I think vehicle combat gets more, I mean, there's car wars, right? <laughs> there's, their entire systems built around that. But the mounted combat piece, I just don't, like I said, it used to be a thing for my groups, but I just don't, I don't hear people talking about it. And I don't see it being a big thing outside of war games, like a Warhammer or fantasy or something like that. Gotta make it a thing, Brett. I, th- I think you do. No, I, yeah, you're dead right, man. I think it's maybe it's about time I, I uh, pull out some stops for my next big brawl in my Pathfinder game and have some people do some mounted combat. I think that could be cool. Yeah. Cool, man. Anything else? No. Like we're good. Right. So, folks, if you have a mounted or vehicular combat system that you really, really like, or you one that really sucks, or things you've done yourself to try to help people, like I said, kind of get the whole group engaged because you don't want to just sit there while one or two people out of four or five gamers are having all the fun while you're just twiddling your thumbs waiting for an actual, you know, slobber knocker of your own to get engaged in. And if you have um, different mechanical systems or games themselves that you really like the way they deal with the maintenance and care and feeding of mounts and vehicles and stuff, let us know. It'd be cool to hear about that. Yeah. Sweet, man. Let's move it on. All right, I roll. All right, so let's talk about the first one. Uh, Christopher Gray. He's doing a um, break Kickstarter. Like, I think it's a campaign to get people to think outside of the normal Kickstarter they would do. So he's writing a novel called Goddamn Fucking Dragons. It's a novel about terrible heroes. <laughs> Fantasy and RPG novel about the murder hobos we call heroes. Yes. <laughs> so check that out. We've always liked Christopher and what he's done for that's, work. So that's awesome. Check that out. Uh, wraps up August 19th, 2019. And then uh, TV series, if you've lived under a rock, and I believe this was dropped at the uh, San Diego Comic-Con, but Picard, the official trailer has come out. Um, no spoilers. But um, Jonathan uh, Fakes uh, is um, directing episodes, and he will star in them. Nice. So he's going to be actually, yeah, reprising his role of Riker. And then Marina Sirtis is actually coming back as Counselor Troy, because they're Mm. both being called to the set for a couple shows. Cool, cool. That's been confirmed on Twitter from those two people. Very nice. Yeah. And I won't spoil the trailer, but there's other goodies in there, too. Um, the Deanna Jones Award 2019 shortlist has been announced. So if you're interested in the Deanna Jones Award, um, it's uh, by industry kind of consensus. Uh, people that work in the industry that are chosen to be part of this selection committee. Uh, it's got some interesting ones that are out there. <laughs> um, one of them is the uh, I'm looking at it right now one of them is the mind yes I've expressed my opinions about that game as have I I will be talking to Matt Forbeck about this 
<laughs> so that's, Christopher Steele, if you're freaking listening to this. That game will end in a gunshot, I swear. Damn you, Chris Steele. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then Purple Sorcerer Games, we, you know, uh, somebody mentioned it above. I think it was Jared. So we have, we've mentioned Purple Sorcerer Games. They've actually given out modules for the show in the past. Um, and so John Marr, that runs that, you know, show him some love. Um, go there if you need some DCC characters generated and a plethora of other resources. Oh, and that's that's a good place to get like Carnival of the Damned by our good friend Dave Beatty too. That's right, because Purple Sorcerer Games published it. Yeah, yeah, it's all good stuff. Purple Sorcerer is very good people all yep, around. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so next week, Brad, what are we talking about? We're talking about tabletop terrain. What? Yeah, whatever. Let's just talk about. We've talked a little bit about you know minis and all that stuff, but we're gonna talk about terrain. Rocks, mountains, trees, all that stuff. Excellent. It'll be fun, I hope. Oh, all right. Well, excellent. This has been another uh, episode of Gaming and BS. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Iron, Corey Wynn, Hawk Sparrow, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs Guy, Roger Braslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Basor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stefan Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzwedel, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Appendix N Book Club, Aaron Coleman, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Rich Wishon, Old Scooza, role-playing, Jared Rasher, Chad Gleiman, Finnolf, Merkel Froilich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, and Jeff Seifert. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This, this has, has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.